Recovery means to me is freedom and peace. There is hope. Recovery is awesome. Recovery works. Recovery is possible. There is hope. Recovery is possible. There is hope. Recovery to me means freedom. Recovery is possible. Recovery works. Recovery is always possible. It's fantastic. Progress, not perfection. Recovery is possible. Recovery works. Recovery is a journey, not a destination. Welcome to Montana's Peer Network Recovery Talks podcast. I'm Jim Haney, Executive Director. And I'm Kayla Myers, a Family Peer Supporter. Thanks for joining me today, Kayla. It is uh, National uh, ADHD Awareness Month. And so um, we're going to talk about ADHD and you've been very open about having a diagnosis. And so we thought, uh, just come on and just have a conversation about it. Yeah. And thank you for asking me. Yeah. Yeah. I think I understand more about my diagnosis the more I talk about it in these um, kinds of forums where I can understand and process um, how it affects me. And hopefully somebody listening will feel more in tune with themselves and um, feel more understood with a peer talking about it in the ways that we do within these podcasts or, um, yeah, these forums. Excellent. Yeah. I don't think we've ever done a podcast on this topic. I'm, I'm, I've been trying to think about that over the years and I don't, I don't think we have, I don't think we've ever, ever done one. So thanks. Yeah. Good. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So let's, um, let's jump right in with, um, you know, before you were diagnosed, what were the kinds of things you experienced, like you know, before beforehand, and then we'll we'll get into the getting diagnosed and all of that. So, did you did you have any awareness that there was something different, or you know, what what was that like, and and when did that happen? Was it when you were younger, or when you got older? Or? No, see, and my experience, I feel like, kind of has been a um, complete one eighty now knowing what I know um, later in life, but my younger brother was diagnosed when he was pretty, pretty young. And so most of my childhood, that was my example of what ADHD looked like. Mm. Um, and so, and it looked very different than me. It felt very different. It looked very different things that he struggled with. Um, yeah, weren't things that I struggled with, or I guess I had a better um, understanding on how to deal or um, cope, or I, I guess I'm not really sure. Um, I haven't really dived too much into that. Like, yes, I know now how it affected me and like more of my um, teens, early adult, you know, into becoming mm -hmm. a mother. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, when I was younger, that was, that was my example and it, and it wasn't, it wasn't me. So. so you said, I'm not like you. I see the differences. I'm not like you and you have this diagnosis. So that can't be me. Yeah. And I almost, you know, like, um, looking back, I, I feel a sense of me feel some regret and some shame that 
um, I wasn't able to be a peer in a sense to my brother. I guess peer to peer is not really like brother and sister, but I used to, I remember thinking like, man, Nathan just has all these struggles and I just felt so bad for him that he's struggling this badly or it's presenting itself more loudly than it was presenting, I guess, within me. Um, and I, yeah, I remember, I remember thinking that we're saying that to him, like, I'm, I'm sorry that this is something that you are struggling with. And I, you know, I, I felt guilty when I was younger that it wasn't something that I had to, um, internally deal with. It was more externally. I, you know, had to, um, I was a support to him, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's wild now. I used to like, I used to think that, or I'd say that to him. And now it's just, it's kind of comical to me looking back where I'm like, look, after getting my diagnosis, now I'm like, oh man, <laughs> that was, that was something that I felt bad for. And, um, here all along, you know, things were probably affecting us very sim similarly his just were more outwardly obvious than the ways it presented within me did you feel like you were normal and and he wasn't normal yeah because i think you and i've talked about this before so like i now with the lived experiences that i have um and the lived experience of loving the people that i love in my life i have a lot more knowledge around the term normal I don't, I don't think many people walk around in this life with a normal brain or a normal story. I think all of us have something. And um, now that there's more talk about mental health and um, diagnoses and trauma, I mean, I think we're all walking around with something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, those, these diagnoses like depression, anxiety, um, ADHD, autism, those are very those were very big things. It wasn't just like everybody had something in those times that those were, those were the extremes. If you had a diagnosis of something that was an, ex that was an extreme to me in mm -hmm. my examples around me. When did you start to have symptoms or did you start to suspect there was something going on with you? How old were you and what was that like? Yeah. So I wouldn't say I suspected anything but um definitely when I moved out um of my you know like this my small town that I grew up in and I went to college and I lived um with a roommate but I wasn't under the care of a you know an adult at that point anymore I was the adult mm -hmm. I would say that that's now when I'm when I think back about timelines that's when I was starting to have those like really bad anxiety attacks and I didn't know why um they literally would just come out of nowhere. Um, that was when I would say things started slowly kind of um, unraveling within me. Um, I I did okay in school, but it was really hard to, um, you know, find the motivation to stick with it. And then I think it became such a... Um, reminder of all the things that I was lacking internally and so then I think that was why it was presenting more like anxiety and um, depression within me probably 
um, early on, but I would definitely say, you know, when I became a mom, still didn't really have an idea of why or of ADHD being even on the table. Mm -hmm. Um, Being in charge of myself was already, I think, hard enough to keep up to remember, you know, like remembering the small little things, um, not getting distracted, staying on task. Uh, But then when you are in charge of another human being, that just adds a whole other component to this. (laughs) And so then I added another human being. So now it's not only me, it's two other human beings. Um, I was married. I had a, you know, household to keep up with. I was a stay at home mom. And I would say that was when I really can now pinpoint like my anxiety was almost the thing that kept me fueled. Like if mm. I was anxious, mm-hmm. I knew that I was like still, um, you know, I was still motivated enough to not feel anxious so that I would get X, Y, or Z done or not forget to you know, these appointments or make sure that this is in the kids' backpacks. But then like I would get on it, like, you know, I'd pack for a trip and then I'd get to the destination and it would be freezing and everybody had everything they needed. But I, I would have forgotten like my toothbrush and my like winter coat or a pair of tennis, like shoes that would be, you know, for cold weather, like that kind of stuff happened constantly. So like, um, but yeah, still, was showing up, I guess, anytime I would talk to a doctor or a counselor, it was still, you know, that anxiety, depression, I tried mm-hmm. medication, mm-hmm. I tried making lists, I tried, I, tr- you know, I, I literally tried all of it. Um, mm-hmm. And then it was kind of like during, I would say like around COVID time, um, that was when I was working full time, I had two kids at home. Um, so it was just like this chaos constantly within my mind and my body. I just was overwhelmed to the brink and I would be on TikTok and these videos of like, put a finger down ADHD edition. And it was more like, then it started kind of like, cause then it just picks up your algorithm. And then it's like more and more of those videos. And every single time I would watch one, I was like, oh my God, that's, that's me. Like it, it was explaining, it was like a checklist of me basically. And then I was like, ah, I think that that's so silly because I think terms are thrown around very. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, I was protective of my brother and protective of my son who has autism. So people that are like, don't we all have a little case of the tisms or don't we all have any, you know, things that yeah. are yeah. OCD and yeah. Right, so right. I, That's the one I, just, I was thinking of. Yeah. 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 I just didn't like that. And so I was like, no, I, I think that that's just an excuse or like, that's just easy to um, kind of do in today's world. And then the more and more I dove into what I tried talking to my um, primary care doctor and I was like, I I'm pretty sure I need ADHD and like everything I was describing about. So like anxiety being my, like, well, that was when I was so anxious that I would like try to keep up. And then I would hit this, like not depression, like not a full on, like, but it was almost just this, like no motivation where I was like, so burnt out. Um, I was, you know, I was felt shame. I felt not good enough. I felt 
rejection from anybody could have said anything to me and I would have felt um, just this deep sense of, yeah, like I'm never going to be able to keep up and I'm never going to be able to do a good job and I'm never, 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 never because I try, 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 try and it doesn't ever work because I always get back to this place where I'm never going to be able to X, Y, or Z. And so, um, but then that's to my doctor sounded like, um, like a mood disorder. It was always like, every time I try to bring it up in these situations that sound, yeah, it would always sound like a mood disorder. And then I finally got into see a psychiatrist and I had like a three hour evaluation and I was, um, diagnosed with uh, CPTSD, so uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder and mm-hmm. ADHD. And I was put on medication and my whole life has completely, completely changed. What was that like? <clears throat> what was, excuse me, what was that like getting, I mean, you got a double diagnosis there. So what, what was that like when you were first told, were you sitting in the office when they told you, or did they call you or? No, yeah, he told me, right, he, yeah, we talked through each, I didn't know what he was doing at the time, but basically these, this three-hour evaluation, each section is like, they're yeah. crossing off, you know, right. uh, these mood disorders or yeah. Whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever it is, and so it was this, I think it was like the most validating, I wasn't sad, I think it was like the most validated I felt and empowered I felt for not allowing um, professionals to tell me what was happening with inside my own self mm-hmm. and that I really set out and um, educated myself on what it looks like and how it presents. And I didn't let p- other people tell me, um, yeah, what was going on with inside of myself for so long that I couldn't explain um, and yeah, it was, I think for me, it was very empowering and I finally felt heard and seen for the first time. And, um, yeah, those aren't like great diagnoses to have. It's not like, I'm like, yay, I got them. But like, at least I know that I did all of the, I did all of the things that anyone ever asked me to do. Um, and then they didn't, it didn't work for me. And I knew that I felt it within myself that like something was something else was going on and um yeah I just I think it was a yeah it was the most empowered and confident in my own decision making and my own sense of um self for the first time in a long time and Mm -hmm. having that validated even though it's like on a piece of paper like who who cares but for me it was it was a very empowering um, when I, yeah, when I walked away from that appointment. So I'm sure a different experience for other, everybody, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did the psychiatrist then put you on medication? Yeah, yeah. We started medication. I remember the first day I took the medication, I was standing, um, I was like in the house and I think the kids had just, like I dropped off the kids and I was coming back to like start work and um, like, I don't know how to describe it. It was like, it's almost like this, like buzz is constantly happening around me. Like I can hear my own like self dialogue. I can have like 
a conversation, you know, like how a conversation was going to go. Like, just like, the, oh, did I put this in their back? Like all of this, it's just like this constantly. It's almost like um, it's raining and the windshield wipers are like going and like music is blurred. Like that's just, it's just kind of like this constant buzz. Mm-hmm. And all, all of a sudden everything just stopped. And I was like, I remember like looking around the room, like where did, I, like, where did all the, that noise go? And I just felt this sense of like calmness. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, like, what do you need to do, Kayla? Like, I could think and process and um, and feel the moment instead of being so overwhelmed by, yeah, like the buzz. I, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it was the weirdest, mm-hmm. weirdest, most, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think that's how... It was like the first time in my life that I had been put on a medication besides it, like being like an antibiotic or like, you know, a, a pain med after surgery when you can feel that instant, um, like, oh yeah, this is working for what it's intended to work for. And I think it was like the first time I took something where I was like, whoa, my, my brain felt not normal. I hate that word, but my brain felt content. Yeah. How was it to tell other people? So you get this diagnosis, you get some medication. What was that like having to tell, you know, were there other people you told? Yeah, I think I was slow to tell just anybody because I was also when I was like in my um, recovery journey within my own mental health. And I think one of the one of the symptoms how it presents within women is you can be a chatty Kathy and you can overshare and I mean that's how it presented within me and so I think I for a very long time whether it was um a trauma response or something with my ADHD I'm I'm not still entirely like sure on that um, but yeah, I was an overshare where I would think I was doing it in a sense that like somebody would hear it and understand what I was saying, not just like hearing my words. Um, and so, but I learned over time that that could then turn into the wrong people getting all of the information about me and, uh, or people that just don't care and, and you know, turn into, um, a sense of rejection. And so that was in the time where I was being very um, selective with who knew just everything hmm. about where I was at and what I was um, doing within my, you know, day to day. And especially with like my mental health journey, I felt like it was sacred to me. And I owed it to myself to figure out what was going to work for me and not have everybody else's like opinions and thoughts and criticism and um, what ifs like incorporated with that. And so, yeah, I was just very um, selective at that time, but, but Mm -hmm. slowly I did. And Mm -hmm. and then everyone's like, Oh, that makes so much sense. And I'm like, yeah. So people agreed once you, once you had the diagnosis, then people said, Oh, that agreed. I, yeah. I agree. That's what's been wrong with you this whole time. Yeah. Like, oh, like, cool. 
you got to go for that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, you mentioned the uh, thing with women. Did you want to talk a little bit more about that? I know in our warm up, you were kind of, you were talking about that, how it might be different in women than men. Yeah. 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 Because there's a lot of, um, I don't know all the percentages and that would just be a really boring thing to dive into in a podcast, but like the amount of women that get diagnosed and especially a lot of the families that I work with, with children with special health care needs, it's very interesting. So like the, their kids will get a diagnosis before they do. And then like later, like, like me, they're, you know, still like, there's still something going on with me. Like, why can't I keep up? And uh, there's been a, there's been a handful of um, moms who have children with a diagnosis of ADHD, autism. It's more of those uh, developmental disabilities um, that I'm seeing who later in life in their like thirties will receive a diagnosis of ADHD. And um, I don't think there's been enough research done like to pinpoint exactly why that has happened. I just think it presents very differently with like, you know, like let's talk little kids. So like boys and girls. So like, I think boys, like I was saying before with my brother and I, I think boys are more outwardly, they show, they show more outwardly than, than girls and women would. Yeah. 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 You'd see the like inattentiveness, the hyperness, the like impulsiveness. Yeah. Right. And with girls, I think they're more like, it's more in their head and their brain activity than it is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's a, it's kind of, uh, I, I don't know a lot about it, but I do, I know a little bit and I know that there's some real controversy around ADHD and is it a, is it a legitimate diagnosis or is it really something else? And it looks very different in men and women. And is that a societal thing? Is that just how we address men and women in our society so then we say oh that's just like you mentioned earlier the chatty Kathy thing right like is that just how we group it is that what it is but there's also the controversy around the medication for children right yeah yeah giving kids like things like Ritalin right um and and I've always wondered you know especially as I get older um and I sort of look back at my life and I think, <clears throat> well, maybe we're just all a little bit different. And that anything that's outside the normal range, we say, oh, well, you must have this. Yeah. Oh, you, you must have that. Right. But what if what we consider normal is just societal norms and isn't really the real range? The real range might actually be much wider and that some people might be more uh, hyperactive. And I hate to even use that word, but some people might be more that way. Some people might be more depressed. Just in general, that, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. And my understanding from, with my own diagnosis of for something to be a disorder, it, it has to interfere with your regular functioning in life. But yet there's many of us who function with a diagnosis and it doesn't always impact, like it might at times, right? But then 
It's just like, this is how you are. That's why I asked you in the beginning about the question, did you just view yourself as just normal? It's like, well, my brother is this way and I'm just normal. Like, yeah. Yeah, I I think, you know, now looking back, I think, you know, there's a, a term called masking, like within. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that that is something that I was, was doing. It was, you know, whether it was masking, um, yeah, I could, I could mask it. I think that there's, you know, like Bryce has autism, my son, and he is, I think the perfect example of like, he has a, he has a disability. It is very apparent. It affects him every single day. Right. From the moment he wakes up, from the time he goes to sleep while he's sleeping, his, his is very, you know, apparent and, um, and and I do one day hope to, um, you know, be so far in my um, mental health recovery journey that I don't have to be medicated and that I can find the tools and tricks and tips and things. Yeah, because I think before I was living okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. That's what I'm yeah. saying is. But I right. was also I was right. also very anxious and depressed. You know, like it, I, it yeah. was a I was a walking recipe for um you know uh I don't know like yeah just like being constantly anxious overthink like so I think for me it's more of giving my brain and my nervous system and my um all of it like a chance to kind of like calm down and to catch up with who I am where my life has been and where I am headed and um for yeah for now i think it's really helping me keep a sense of focus on the present mm-hmm. and what i'm what i need to get done in in today and what i don't need to worry about today and then until i become confident enough in um those cuz i'm you know it's something i'm actively working at i i've talked to my psychiatrist about this many many times that eventually I do want to, um, you know, have other tools in place besides just medication and and not be dependent on taking a a medicine, not saying, I think that there's, um, it, you know, it, it really has changed. It really has changed my life. And I, and I'm grateful for it being something that I could take to feel a sense of, you know, calmness. Um, but I also think now knowing as far as I am in my recovery journey, um, I do know that there's other tools out there that I think would be just as effective. And so, um, that's my goal. That's my like future. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. My future goal with it. So, yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, did you want to share, I think you have some. Did you want to share some statistics? I think yeah, that I was something that we were talking about. Just I don't yeah. really have like super um yeah, I don't have like numbers and stuff, but I I would I just kind of wanted to share um, you know, those like put a finger down. No, just <laughs> we don't have to do it like that. Um, of like how it showed up for me or how it can still show up for me at times. Um mm-hmm. so I would say like early on, um yeah, I would hear all the time, like, oh, you're just so sensitive. You're just so sensitive. Um, and like being able to 
like crying easily, having um, like, if someone is what is being perceived as if you're being criticized, um, you know, that rejection to that criticism is a very intense thing. Um, I don't think all people with an ADHD diagnosis feel rejection sensitive dysphoria, um, but that can be one of the characteristics. And I would say that that's how it presented within me, which then I think to other people, it looks like low self-esteem, um, like, why can't, I was just joking with you and why do you have to be so sensitive and why do you, why are you always crying? And like, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. And, um, mm -hmm. and so that, that can lead for women, especially that can lead down a road of, you know, immense self-loathing, self-doubt, self-criticism. Um, and I think there is a st statistic that women with undiagnosed ADHD and that being one of the components that uh, rejection sensitive dysphoria, they're four times as likely to have depression, to have um, uh, like self-harming and uh, suicidal thoughts because of that constant, mm -hmm. yeah, um, thing playing out in their, their head. So I think that that's like one of the biggest things for me I feel compelled to speak about it because I, I know I'm sure there's somebody out there that feels all of those things and don't, you know, I'm sure they're really hard on themselves to try not to feel sensitive or not to feel um, hurt by all, you know, the things that they can't control. Um, but I do think that that's something that needs to be acknowledged because it's, it's real. Um, I would say like, um, it's a hard, it's hard to regulate when you don't have a sense of um, what is happening within you. Like I did before, you have a really hard time regulating your thoughts and then what behaviors you have because of your thoughts and the emotions that go with it. So it's a really, I would say it's not like a lack of, you know, like the definition is um, attention deficit. I would say it's like just the opposite. Like I pay so much attention to my thoughts, my feelings, my, like, I, I feel like it's such a, like, wrong terminology for what ADHD actually is and what it feels like to have ADHD. Like, trust me, I don't have a lack of attention. Like, yes, I have a lack of attention to these, you know, like, to my everyday tasks, but it's not a lack of attention to thoughts, behaviors, emotions, other people's thoughts, feelings, behaviors, emotions, like if anything, for me, it was like, those words don't ring true. Attention deficit. No. Yeah. Mm. Um, feeling, yeah, like feeling overwhelmed and not feeling overwhelmed in this, how, you know, I would say people without ADHD would feel like, yes, I think everyone feels overwhelmed, but it's almost this spiral of like the littlest things can make you feels uh, the biggest sense of overwhelming like it's because like now those things will happen and now that I don't know if it's because I'm medicated or like I've my nervous system you know all of the stuff I was talking about before mm -hmm. um now I have like the tools in place to not feel as overwhelmed mm -hmm. um but yeah that sense of overwhelmingness mm -hmm. inside of you is just it's like crippling Mm. Um, yeah, uh, your brain is just constantly 
busy, um, you're hyper, like, um, like more like a talk, like talkative, um, daydreaming, easily distracted. Um, and so like a couple of the things that like, um, just are like little silly things that like, so like I used to hear a song and, or like, I still do, um, I hear a song and I'm like, oh my God, I love this song. And I will play it constantly. Like, I can't get enough of it. Like, I, that's all I want to listen to. And then you just like burn yourself out on it. Like, so I could listen <laughs> to it on repeat for a month and then be like, yeah, I don't like that anymore. And that happens also with foods. Like if I eat something that I'm like, oh my, it's like a hyper fixation on these like weird, <laughs> these weird things to like, yeah, like if I try something new at a, a food place and I'm like, that's all I want. It's like every time I think about food, that is what mm-hmm. I want. And then I'll eat it so much. And I'm like, I don't like that. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hyper fixation is a huge, a mm. huge one. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Coffee funny. having like the opposite effect. I could drink a cup of coffee at 9 p.m. and like sleep like a baby i remember people would be like you're gonna have Ugh. caffeine right now i'm like yeah, yeah. anything like in the morning i'm like it doesn't do anything for me if anything i feel like it makes me more tired sometimes hmm. so that's interesting yeah 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 just like these weird little things that yeah have happened that now i'm like oh that makes that makes more sense so if there's so if there's somebody listening and they're relating to some of what you're talking, what would you recommend they do? Yeah, I mean, um, you can always reach out to me. Um, I'm a family supporter in um, Montana. Well, I can talk to families all across the state of Montana, or um, if you. Um, have a trusted uh, uh, like a primary care doctor or a counselor or yeah get those conversations started um like I said if they weren't going the way that I they were going for me and they're more discrediting your take on what is actually happening with inside of you and labeling it with something different um don't take those words as like what the final decision or verdict is um but I would say I think the thing that really changed for me was like um seeking out a psychiatrist like you know I think um primary care providers are are fantastic but you know they see people every single day for all different kinds of things um psychiatrists went to school to um I mean that's that's what they do every single day is um psychiatry Yeah, that's exactly. (laughs) And so I think like, yeah, them diving in and doing a three hour evaluation instead of just like a 15 minute appointment where you're like, oh my God, I finally got in. And then you're like, I feel blah, blah, you know, and off you go. Yeah. So um, I think it's a, it's a lot more of a fair assessment into what is actually happening than just what could possibly be happening. So, yeah. I think okay. that would probably be psychiatrist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kayla, for coming on and, you know, being open and talking about it and 
sharing your experience and yeah yeah and the listener thank you for tuning in uh to another recovery talks podcast again if you related to anything kayla was talking about yeah reach out to you know a doctor general practitioner preferably a psychiatrist you know you can have an evaluation done um and find out what's going on for yourself yeah Yeah. or talk to somebody else like kayla who who has that similar experience and and uh you know listen to what they have to say and share your experience yeah yeah i would also say um you know now being in the peer world and um i think before when i would overshare or over talk i think i was searching for somebody um that just understood and now working in this world i know what that is now i know what Mm -hmm. the term is for it Mm -hmm. um so i think don't shy away from sharing what you're actually going through because um it could save you a lot of heartache and pain and um, suffering if you just actually are honest with what is what is really happening within um your mental health yeah i yeah finding a peer i think number one to validate your experience is is huge and then you can embark on a journey of you know counselor psychiatrist or whatever that looks like um because yeah. they aren't the professionals and i do think that it's very um you know it, that's where you um ultimately need to end up is speaking to a professional um but don't discredit what you're going through and what your experience is. And I'm sure there's a peer out there that can validate and hear you um, and emotionally support you in what you have experienced. So I think both are very important. Right. Well, again, thank you. And uh, another great podcast, another good topic. Yeah. Thanks for letting me ramble. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. It's good. Thank you to the listener for tuning in and check us out each week with other Recovery Talks podcasts. Thank you. There's always hope. Recovery is possible. Recovery works. There's hope in recovery. Healing takes time. Recovery means resilience. You know, you can get through anything. Recovery works. Recovery rocks!